Well, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. I hope all of you got to eat at least something delicious this past week. I ate about, I ate about five pounds of cranberries. I read that the average American consumes approximately two pounds of cranberries a year. I think that many of us probably fill our annual consumption in one day. I don't know. I might have two pounds for lunch and then two pounds for dinner. And I don't want to see another cranberry for about 364 days. Um, and then I always think about Thanksgiving as such a funny holiday to me because most Americans are not what you would call culinary masters. And then we, we expect everyone to cook this dinosaur-sized bird <laughs> on Thanksgiving. And um, I always pray for people because I know that it can be a challenge for, for, for many. Uh, but I also I think of the words of the Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. In, in Star Wars from A New Hope, he says, like, I felt a great disturbance in the force as if millions of turkeys suddenly gobbled in terror and were suddenly silenced. All of these turkeys that exist on one day and then they're gone. You have to start over. New turkeys. I keep wanting to do turkeys at our house. Um, we have many, many chickens. We don't have any turkeys, but I can't imagine uh, having to dispatch a turkey because they're so, they're so adorable. So we don't have any turkeys. My littlest, Natalie, was is kind of coming into consciousness, my third child. Uh, and it's hard to be a little baby at Thanksgiving. It's very confusing. There's a lot of people around. Um, and she's getting her molars in, and so she's kind of a spicy pickle. Uh, and she's very unhappy. Um, so if you're ever at somebody's house on Thanksgiving and you see them holding a baby, Take the baby from them. Take, offer to take the baby. Um, people are off schedule. Or they're off balance this time of year. Uh, and if your family is like my family, you're pretty much immediately, the adults in the room are always outnumbered by little kids and dogs. There's going to be six dogs and dozens of children. And every adult is scrambling to try to keep these two populations apart. Um, anyway. We're dog people, and we tend to have a lot of babies. All hands on deck. Um, these are also the days and times of the year when we make new memories. It's tempting these days to see everything through the filter of our phone cameras. And I want to encourage you and remind you to pay close attention and take mental photographs. Those are more important. Um, we also know that we can see the saints and lights around it this time of year. The veil between this world and that one is a little bit thinner. Um, there are complex times, the holidays, because we've got the forced proximity of kinfolk, who maybe we can tolerate for a bit. But you have the conspicuous absence of those who have left this world over the course of this past year. The empty chair, an unexpected stillness. Um, you miss a certain recipe that was always at the table. Or you miss the voice that has gone home. Some of us, um, our holidays seasons have been reduced to almost complete stillness as we approach the advent of our own lives. Our friends and family have gone on beyond us. In the days surrounding the holidays perhaps are full of activity at church and work or elsewhere. 
We go through the motions along with everyone else, but then we come to find ourselves suddenly and deeply alone on that actual day. I want you to know that your church family here at St. John's wants to be family to you in times of loneliness, if the holidays are a time of loneliness for you. We've got a lot of things planned for this season, but if you or someone you know struggles to get to church uh, or needs assistance with transportation or something, just let us know. Uh, just give us a call, let Sally know in the office, and we'll figure something out. This is the first day of the Christian New Year. Um, so, Happy New Year! <laughs> As we stand at the threshold of new life, let's talk about this scripture lesson that we've heard to break open this new season. Um, let's, let us, let's pray. Almighty God, ever arriving, in the dawning light of this arrival, we stand and we keep watch. So send us a word of comfort. Your faithful people pray. Amen. It's hard as a preacher, as a practicing Christian, to always begin this holiday season with these scripture lessons that remind us of the second coming. Advent is not just a time for looking east toward an empty crash in Bethlehem. Advent's a time for understanding that Christ is returning. And so we have these reminders of the second coming, I think to shock us a little bit and to remind us of God's power. Being a Christian means being called out from the rest of society to live in a kind of liminal space between the fulfillment of the first coming and the anticipation of the second. We are people of messianic hope and expectation. Look east toward the star over Bethlehem. We practice again our ancient expectations, and so we talk about hope a lot. But as Jesus teaches us today, we don't know, we can't know with certainty when the Son of Man is going to show up. You've got no way of knowing ahead of time. So you have to remain vigilant, to keep awake, to pay attention, to pay attention. There are different ways that Christians understand Jesus' apocalyptic teachings to his disciples. Some folks have really put all their chips down on this idea that there's going to be a rapture. It's going to be a, like a, people are going to fly up to heaven and leave all their clothes behind. Um, <clears throat> a day when all the good people who look like them and act like them are going to get beamed up into the sky. And then they're going to get to sit ringside while the people who aren't like them have to deal with trials and tribulations. Always trials and tribulations, never one without the other. Um, this theology, this theology of, uh, of, a, of a second coming and a rapture, of, 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 the, of the chosen being carried up into heaven and the reprobate being left behind, is uh, pretty unique to the United States. It's a very uniquely American theology. This theology would have seemed very strange and alien to the reformers, to Luther and to Calvin and the rest of them, uh, especially to, 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 the West, to the Wesleys. Um, this idea that there's gonna be a second coming and, and, and that people will be left behind became popular in the American South immediately following the Civil War. 
Immediately following the collapse of the southern economy in the Civil War, this theology of being left behind kind of sprang out of nowhere. Well, it didn't spring out of nowhere. I mean, because um, if you understand the horror of that event, you can understand the average person's belief in the South that there would be this time of rapture and wrath. They lived it. But Jesus, um, this is is most certainly not what he had in mind when he was preaching today about his second coming. He says very specifically that you can't anticipate what it's going to be like. You can't know the moment or the manner in which the kingdom will come. And uh, there is another way of reading these texts, I think. More traditional tense tends toward a kind of fatalistic tone, which says the idea, rather, that we ought to take from this is that each of us will indeed experience the apocalypse. Each of us will indeed know the day of our Lord's coming because there is, in fact, certainly a day in which the universe will vanish from your sight, a day after which you will have no more days, an end of days specifically for you and for me. As Luther said, on that day we close our eyes on this world and open them onto eternity. And as far as you're concerned, this is the end of the world. Or as, uh, as uh, Mark Twain said, not too terribly worried about dying. Many things will happen. None of them will involve me. But the apocalypse is approaching, and and none of us know the day in which we'll see the sun rise for the last time. We can't know that day. Only God knows. So remain vigilant, because any moment could be your last. I don't know how helpful that is. I don't know how hopeful. It seems kind of morbid, kind of dark. Personally, I take a more middle path to this idea of the second coming. You've got to be vigilant. You've got to be paying attention all the time, or at least as best you can, because the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ are breaking into this world in sparks and starts and flashes and miracles, visions, little exchanges that you see in the most mundane places, interactions between children, around the holidays especially, these days of darkness when the air is thin, You've got to pay attention because there are, in fact, visions and miracles and prophecies. The kingdom of God is at hand, but you've got to be able to see it, and you can't see it if you're kind of just moping through life, tired and exhausted. The face of God, if you're awake, might appear to you on the face of a child, in the eyes of a man you pass who's sitting alone on a park bench. You might hear the name of God on the lips of a person speaking quietly into a cell phone to a loved one who's rushing to catch a flight. And you might see the star of Bethlehem, the same star that hung above the birth of Jesus Christ in a flickering street lamp out at the edge of town. So. We remain awake because, not because the kingdom of God isn't here, but because it's all around us and we're sleeping if we can't see it. So remain vigilant, Jesus says. 
Remain vigilant, because you don't know when it's going to appear for you. When suddenly you will see the kingdom of God. You will see Jesus Christ. Remember that story of, rich, of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus. Rich man, Jesus tells this parable. The rich man doesn't, he, he, he steps over Lazarus, going into his house, his sumptuous feast. Lazarus is poor, he's covered with sores. He just wants to eat the food that falls from the rich man's table. And then they both die, and things go very poorly for the rich man, and they get better for Lazarus. And the rich man says, hey, please go warn my brothers. Warn them that they need to help take care of the poor Lazarus and stuff. And Father Abraham says, what? they've been warned. They, they went to temple. They read the same book that we all read. And the rich, and rich man says, no, 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 you've got to send a ghost. They'll believe a ghost. And he says, no, no, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe a ghost. Okay, in that story, the rich man, his failure wasn't that he was cruel, mean, vicious. It wasn't that he hated Lazarus or poor people. His failing was that he didn't see Lazarus sitting right there at the door. He didn't see him. He stepped over him. He was blind. So when Jesus tells us to be vigilant, stay awake, and pay attention, it's not because if we miss it, we aren't going to catch the bus to glory. It's because if we're not vigilant, then we'll live a life blind to the glory of the kingdom of God that's all around us. The Bible is riddled through with God's despair over people being told to watch closely to the world around them, to look, but then they, they just don't see it, they don't notice it, and caught up in other stuff. The word apocalypse itself, the, the, the Greek word, it comes from apokalypsis, it just means to uncover, to unveil. That's all apocalypse means, it just means uncover. Take the, pull aside the curtain, look at reality for what it is for a second. At, it, at its roots, it means to pull aside the curtain. Here's, a, here's an apocalypse. Here's a rapture. There are three men, fishermen. All three of them are friends, and they live beside the Sea of Galilee, and they help each other repair their boats and mend their nets. They live near to each other. They eat lunch together every day. They tell jokes, and they help each other find good spots to fish. But one morning at the docks, one of the men fails to appear. His two friends turn to one another and ask, Where is Simon, son of John? He's never been late for work before. Here's his boat, ready to go. The nets are all here, but what's become of Simon? Come to think of it, I haven't seen his little brother Andrew around much either. I wonder what became of them. Maybe they got raptured. Well, I mean, they certainly got caught up in something greater than themselves. The Bible says that Simon and Andrew left their nets and followed God. Simon was vigilant. See, he was watching. He was watching. And when the Son of Man arrived there at the shore side, he was ready. He was ready to follow. I wish that I could promise you that the, that the coming of the Son of Man in your life will be some kind of, some kind of glorious Hollywood spectacular, complete with, with flying chariots and golden trumpets and, and, and Maybe, I don't know. Wasn't that way for Simon. For Simon, it looked like a rabbi greeting him on the beach. But I know that, and I believe that, the second coming is a thing that is outside of time. It reaches into our time and our world, 
but it reaches in like the way that sunlight reaches into a sanctuary through stained glass. And it reaches into our world the way that the flowers in the spring push up through the snow. And you've got to cultivate an awareness of it. You've got to have ears to hear it. Advent is a fresh beginning. It is a new year. It is a new start. It's a time that we can train ourselves, our, mar- our minds, our hearts, to start watching for the star on the horizon. The coming of the Son of Man into our lives, breaking in like a, like a shaft of light breaks into a dimly lit room. But don't miss it. Don't even risk missing it. When you get better at seeing it, you're going to start to see it all the time. I promise you that. It's like quiet, perfect, beautiful fireworks going off in the world all around you. Well, kinfolk, welcome to this new season of this new year of the church. These weeks, these coming days, let's look east. There is always light at the edge of dawn. Praise God. Amen.